Okay, this is my interview on Saturday 27th of October 2017 with Ukoko Tan, who was, uh, his last position was Deputy Minister of Mines. So maybe can we start with, uh, when were you born and where were you born? You see, I was born in 1930 at a place called Ngaputo. And Ngaputo is a small town in the Basin district in Rawadi Division. And my father was a, uh, the employee, government employee, employee in the what they call land records department. What's so that my, my father, yeah, is uh, a clerk. And my mother was a one daughter of a family of, oh, who was a farmers. Farmers. Yeah, they own certain farms, rice farming, you see. Rice farming is, is their main job. And your father, I didn't understand what his role was in the government. What was it? He it was what land reclamation land. No, he was uh, just a uh, you know land records department. Land records. What's the name? Uh, yeah, they they keep the record of that land. Oh, the records Agricultural land. Yeah. Who owns it and what area they own and this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Just an ordinary clerk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how many of them the were you? How many children? Uh, altogether, four children. Yeah, I was a second young. I had an elder daughter, and then next is myself, and I got two brothers younger than me. And what was your life like at that time? And you see, if I remember this is. You see, I think around about 1941, see, there was a World War number two, and Japanese occupied Myanmar. At that time, is I was about ten years old, and I was study uh, in the I think sixth standard uh, in Basin Town. And because of the Japanese occupation, you see, most of the people who lived in the town ran away to uh, the nearby smaller town or certain villages. <coughs> Therefore, my family also moved over to Maputo, uh, my mother's native town, and stayed there during the Japanese time. There was no work. School were closed, and Japanese soldiers were all over the place. And the reason we went to our native town was that you see, uh, Japanese were not frequented that area. We are free of the Japanese, but all the schools were closed. Huh? Everything was closed. Therefore, I had nothing to do. You see. <laughs> And that was about when I was about 10 years old. How long were you there for? Yeah, 
You see, one thing I remember very well is that in the same way as we move from town, bigger town to the smaller town, one family, uh, I think from Basin or from Yangon, moved over to Ngabuto. They came over to Ngabuto, same place we went there. And for some reason, they rented our house in Ngabuto. You see, we rented their house to them, to that family, and we moved over to our grandmother's place. You see? And the people who rented the house, the man was the, the Chinese uh, man, Bama born Chinese man. But he was married to the Myanmar girl. You see? And that Myanmar girl, was a very good educated girl. Uh, she has a degree in Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Education degree holder. You see, the reason I remember is I still remember her photograph hang up in the house with the gown and everything, you know? Graduation. Uh, graduation dress. We had a look at it and all of us wanted to become like her. Uh, that's a reason we, after the World War, we made more interested in the education. And that's how I became the engineer and my elder brother, uh, sister became the economist. <coughs> and younger, my younger brothers are all graduated. Yeah. So yeah, how, how long? Were, yeah. How long did you stay there in that small town? Maybe uh, four years during the whole Japanese period. Only after that, when Japanese uh, went away, and we became, we got the independence and that kind of thing. Then we moved back to Beijing and started uh, the school again. So did you, uh, therefore? Uh, finish school much older than normal? Yeah, much older because of this Japanese period. <coughs> and when you were in the small town, uh, was there enough to eat and life? Yeah, yeah because we are farm, farmers, you see. Right. And there was no sort of business, uh, no trade in everything. There was plenty of rice. <laughs> so it was a sort of carefree existence. Yeah. You, you didn't really know it was a war. No, we did not know too much about it. Yeah. Yeah. So you came the only thing is the Japanese came and uh, they, they didn't stay in our town, you see. They just moved about. Yeah. Right. So no, no, you didn't really we notice know, no, do Not too much about the Japanese. Right. Mm. So when you went back to your main village, yeah. you started again as you must have been 14 or something. Yeah. You started high school? Yeah, high school, yeah. At 14 or 15? Yeah. And then uh, I think after uh, I, I continued studying there, yeah, and then I passed a matriculation examination in Basin Town. And from there on, I joined the university. In Yangon? In Yangon. That was in 1947. 
I joined the uh, university in 1947. So you must have jumped classes. You must have done high school quite you quickly. See, I did, you see. What I did was, you see, as I said to you, I had my elder sister, and she is about two years older than myself, therefore she is in the higher class. And when we, after the World War, she also went to the school, and she was in the higher class than myself. And matriculation examination comes, and those days, education was a little bit different, therefore anybody can sit. Right? You see, after my own school examination, I said the matriculation <laughs> examination jumped one, uh, one or two classes and passed. <laughs> so you, were, you got back to normal age. <laughs> and did your sister go to Yangon as well? Yeah, yeah, we went, uh, we went to, you see, we passed the matriculation same year. Ah. Uh, same year, therefore we were sent to Yangon to study, but we stay in the hostel. My father's family were in Bessin, right. remain in the family. So do you attribute your interest in ed- being educated to that, the, the lady who rented your house? Lady, yeah. Not your parents. Your parents did not push you to become no, educated. No, I don't remember. You, we just wanted <laughs> to be like that. <laughs> So when you went to Rangoon University in 1947, it must have been a period of big change in Rangoon, right? Yeah. What was it like living in Rangoon in 1947? You see, uh, when we went to the university, Rangoon University buildings were partly occupied by the American uh, soldiers. They opened uh, the school building uh, as a hospital. Therefore, uh, most of our class were done by bamboo sheds. <laughs> not, not in the university itself. Uh, that was maybe, uh, you see, the, the university, I was there six years. Maybe two, three years like this. Only after that, I went to the proper school. When, when the Americans left. <laughs> and, you know, because it was a period when uh, Burma was looking to get independence, and were the students all politically interested, or were you just, most of you just interested in no, your studies? No, I don't think I was politically interested at all, you see. Uh, I think Burma became independent in 1948 or something, yeah, yeah, just after one year yeah. after this, but we continue. Uh, with the school. And how did you choose? Did you do, go straight into engineering? Engineering, yeah. Why? <coughs> you see, there was a, a change of education system at the time when we got there. You see, normal circumstances, after passing matriculation, you have to go to what they call intermediate level. There's a two years intermediate classes, two years classes. Only after passing the two years in the university, you see, you can choose your career. Either to go to education, uh, medical, or engineering, or this kind of thing. 
that that was a normal. But when we got to the university in 1947, there was a change of the system. You see, we don't need to go to the intermediate class. If you want to join engineering, you go straight to engineering. Therefore, we were sent to engineering classes straight away. The, the 200, 200 people. Mining engineering or just... No, just, just engineering. In those days, there was no mining. Right. No mining classes at all. Right. Just engineering. You see? Uh, it could be civil engineering, electrical or mechanical. Then that's the only engineering uh, subject being taught at that time. There was no mining. And presumably this was because there's a desperate need for engineers yeah. in, in, in yeah. the country because yeah, of the is, war. That is correct, yeah. Mm. So your course was how many years? The course at university, how long did six, it take? Six years. Six years for money. 1947 to 19. 53. That's a long, that's longer than normal. Because normally, you see, two years in the intermediate, four years in the university. But they put the two together, therefore, all six years in the university uh, at the engineering classes. So we're now at 1953, around. Yeah, yeah. 1953, as I said to you, those days, uh, <coughs> engineers were very in great demand. All the departments come in and come and offer us their jobs, and therefore uh, I joined uh, what they call education department. You know, irrigation, irrigation yeah. department. I applied for it, and I got that appointment in the education department. But before I actually went and joined the department. Or, you see, there was an advertisement in the newspaper right? saying that is a Burma Corporation Limited hmm? wanted certain people to be scholar right? for the mining engineering. And anybody who is interested right? to apply for that and they were sent to England for further training. That was an advertisement in the newspaper in 1953. I read the newspaper and therefore instead of going to education department, I applied for this and I was selected. And you know the reason I applied for not that I know anything about mining. As I said to you, my native time is a flat. <laughs> no, I I don't think I have ever seen any mountain at all. <laughs> anyway, the only reason why I joined this is as far as, as far as I can remember is the chance to go to England. You see, anyway, uh, I went to I was sent to England and to Campbell School of Mines. To which school? Cambon School. Where is that? That was in Cornwall. Cornwall. On Cornwall. You see, one thing about this is that, uh, you see, those days we got in Cornwall 
called Campbell School of Mines. And another mining school we know is, is a, uh, in, situated in London, London School of Mines. Hmm? At the interview, hmm? I was told that I'll be sent to Campbell School of Mines. Uh, I asked the interviewer, why not send to London School of Mines? Because we don't know Cambon, right? we want to go to London, you see? He said, and the Cambon man, good enough for me and good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> so after Cornwall. <laughs> Anyway, I went to Campbell School of Mine. 1954? 1953. Three, yeah, right, same uh, year. Uh, and the school term is three years school term. Therefore, I finished in 1956, three years. And what was, it, what was it like living in England in 1950? Yeah, you see, England is just after the war, and they were uh, mostly poor, not yeah. like uh, the present day. Uh, anyway, one thing, the actual schooling, no problem, you see, I was trained as an engineer and, and the mining engineers uh, just another subject, mostly physics, chemistry, mathematics are the same subject, therefore very easy for me, you know. Anyway, schooling days, you see, I don't have any special thought about it. But one thing very important to me is this. This Camon School of Mine has no boarding facility. No boarding facility. You see, most of the school has a hostel and there's a no facility. Therefore, people like us have to find their own place to stay, to attend the school. Yeah? Therefore, I stay uh, in the same town as Camel School with one family, which is a British family. They have no children. Yeah, they treated me like their child. Yeah? And the father was uh, working with what do you call compressor company called Hallman's Brother. I don't know whether it is still in existence or not. Uh, the, the man was, uh, the husband was working there as a foreman and, and they got need no children and the wife looked after me and they gave me a room to stay and uh, I stayed there for three years. And how did you find yeah, them? Yeah, that's uh, then it's very important for me. The reason I stay uh, with the English family, I know a lot of English we all life. You see, one thing. Another thing is, they got no family, they got no children, therefore everywhere they go, they take the allow. Therefore, I meet so many people uh, as a child. And, you know, British people, the weekend they move about, and then, therefore, I was always taken along with them, as I went all over the place. Therefore, I met a lot of people, in Cambon area through them because they treated it like their child, you see. And and that opportunity 
was because Kemos Kulomai has no hostel. <laughs> Otherwise, I will stay in the hostel and do not meet with any family. But I stay with their family and stay like they are. What was their name? Can you remember? I don't remember. <laughs> so you lost touch with them when you came back? Yeah, I lost yeah. touch with them, yeah. But life was good. You enjoyed, yeah, very you enjoyed good, your yeah. time in Yeah, only, only one man, one, one child for them, you see. <laughs> so you, you found the British welcoming for you? Yeah. Were you the only Burmese in Camborne? No, no, you see, I think um, when we were sent, the two of us were sent together. I stayed with one family, another friend of mine stayed with another family. And not only us, other people from other countries, like African and mostly the Malaysian, they all stayed with different families. Mm. And and uh, the you were paid. Did you have pocket money because yeah, of from the, by that company? By the company. By that company. So you could live okay. You uh, wasn't money is no problem. You see, but uh, they, I think they deposited it into the bank, and, yeah, and I just uh, take it out and pay them. Yeah. Mm. And presumably, part of the deal was when you finished, you yeah. go back and work with them. Yeah. Yeah. So all expenses are paid by the uh, fees for the uh, schooling and and pocket money and this kind of thing. So we come to 1956 and yeah, you finished? Yeah, before that, you see, during this period, there were school holidays, isn't it? What do you do, isn't it? Before, through the friends uh, in the school, we talk about what to do through holiday. And those days, I don't know why, I was very interested in camping. Yeah, very interested. Yeah, maybe I have no money, you see. Therefore, uh, I was very interested in camping. Therefore, I joined the uh, camping club. Through the, through the post office, I can join it and they give me pamphlet and where do you go and this kind of thing. And I bought a motorcycle hmm? and back on the motorcycle and during my holidays I went around all over England on my motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. By yourself or with friends? By myself. By myself. You see, I went all over Camborne, Wales and Scotland. Wow. Yeah, all over the places, all on motorbike. And you put a tent up at night, or yeah, I put up the tent there, stay there. Yeah? <laughs> Cold. <laughs> and that was uh, another very strange life for myself. And another thing <coughs> uh, I remember staying in Cambon is this. You see. As I said to you, uh, <coughs> I came to know a lot of uh, British family. And I don't know whether you know about this or not. There was a 
a kind of the organization called MRA, no. Moral Rearmament Association. Yeah, those days, yes, very, very popular moral rearmament. Hmm? And I don't know whether it, this association started from, maybe from America, but uh, became very popular in England then, moral rearmament association. You see? And they were mostly Christian, but uh, they go to church and everything. But one important thing is that they group together yeah, every weekend or so, or every month or so at a certain place, maybe different houses, group together and make, uh, in our opinion, a meditation. But they say quiet time, yeah, quiet time. So they just group together, had a quiet time, hmm? okay, quiet time, and during this quiet time, as far as I know, they think about Jesus Christ and everything, right? <clears throat> and because I knew them very well, they knew I was a Buddhist, and they asked me about Buddhism, I don't know too much, but one thing I know, I told them Buddhism. And they took me to church every weekend, hmm? uh, tried to teach me Christianity, uh, everything. Hmm? But one thing about it is this, you see, maybe they are uh, away from London and everything, they felt pity on me. You know the reason? Because Jesus Christ is a savior. Buddha is not a savior. You have to do your own work. They felt pity on me. There was no savior. I have no savior. <laughs> he said, why you take out such a religion? No savior. <laughs> Therefore, in one of their quiet times, towards the end of my school days, Hmm? all came to the same conclusion that I be sent to Geneva uh, to attend one of the great meetings in Geneva, uh, MRA meeting. That was a... Maro Riyama, yeah. Uh, in Geneva. Therefore, one of the school holidays, uh, I was sent there to attend in Geneva, this MRE headquarter there, and there was a sudden celebration in this Geneva then, and I was there uh, for one week. <laughs> and you didn't get you didn't get converted. God, <laughs> it's like a holiday again for you, was it? A holiday trip. That's how the British are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I missed. How did you get involved in the moral rearmament? How did you connect with them? Who? How, how did they find you? Why did you end up going to moral rearmament uh, meetings? Because you see, um, as I said to you, I knew a lot of people. Yeah. And, and then through the family. Yes. And there was 
one lady working in the post office uh, she was a kind of a leader in this moral young man. Uh, we had to go to post office to draw the money and that kind of thing. So I knew them very well. And through her, the Moriyama group felt pity only. So that was another experience of Moriyama. Yeah, for campaign experience. Yeah. And Moriyama experience. What happened next? And in one of the uh, school holidays, I went to France, Italy, and Switzerland on motorbike. But this time with a friend of mine from Bambi's friend of mine who was studying in London. Therefore, I went all over the places in motorbike. So your your this, the uh, money you were paid by the company allowed you to do that. So it wasn't bad. Yeah, you, yeah. I suppose you saved it's some up. There was not much expenses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You see. Uh, as I said to you, I joined the camping club. Right. And because I'm a member, I can see there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I put my own tent. <laughs> and and what was it like travelling in Europe? Is it with a Burmese? What passport did you have? A British passport or a Burmese passport? Can you remember? No, I, I don't remember. But you were in the Burmese. No, Burmese. Burmese passport. Yeah. So yeah. no problems. No, no problem. I go there. Yeah. Quite I easy. I didn't say who's this. <laughs> <laughs> Travelling, yeah? Yeah. The Alps mountain and everything. Those days, no tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. I had Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful memories, right? <laughs> yeah. Another thing, <clears throat> during my school day, was the uh, school curriculum requires that we be trained at a certain mind for two, three months during this three years period. I think after second year we we were trained. Therefore, after second year uh, school holiday period, uh, you see, we have to go outside to get some certain training. And I wanted to go to Canada, you see, to get the training. You see? Therefore, I applied to go there, and the school agreed that I go there. But what actually happened was, I think their underground mind has a, a kind of a limit, saying that, that my weight will be sudden weight. <laughs> Therefore, you see, my weight is less than their requirement. Therefore, I was rejected. <laughs> Goodness. So I couldn't go to uh, Canada for training. There were one else to do. There's not, no, nowhere else to go. Anyway, school has a list of the, the company who will accept the training. Therefore, uh, they say, okay, you go to Norway. Hmm? You go to Norway. And you see, I do not know too much about geology or geography. <laughs> Especially, as I said, I jump classes, yeah? Uh, <clears throat> you see, there's a mine there in Spitsbergen. Spitsbergen. I don't know where Spitsbergen is. Hmm? 
but I know Bargain is a Norwegian captain. So will you go? Okay, I'll go. Hmm? <laughs> and this again, I thought it was very near a bargain. Hmm? Yeah, therefore, I took the motorbike. Yeah? On the ferry. On oh, the ferry. Yeah? Went over to Bargain. Yeah? There. And tried to anchor where Swiss Bargain is. Swiss Bargain is in the Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different, different island. No. Don't know what to do. Got the motorbike. Greenland. Another big journey. I don't know. Anyway, you see, those days people are different. See, on the way to Norway, I came across a, another a boy, you see, uh, maybe the student, I don't know. He's a Norwegian. He said, I got trouble there, what to do? He said, Leave your motorbike with me, you go. Because you cannot take a motorbike to. I just left. Nothing happened to the bike. He That's kept it song. for you. Yeah, only after I left. <laughs> anyway, I went to Swiss bargain. But don't you have to fly for, fly to this? No, I can I had to go by bus <coughs> to right to the it's north of the circle. A place called. Uh, I don't know the name, right. earlier, very top of Norway, and after that uh, sea journey, maybe one day journey, by boat to uh, Greenland. <coughs> and there, uh, the mine I walk uh, <coughs> happened to be a coal mine. Uh, you see? Coal mine. Yeah, coal. Yeah. And it is, I think, very near to North Pole. Very near. And all around the mine were ice bath, you know, glaciers and everything. <laughs> and I worked there maybe for two months there. But they were very, very good. Only thing is, you see, those days, uh, and they don't allow anyone in that area unless you walk in the mine. There's no resident, no nothing, all of them are walking because they got no food, nothing there. Everything has to be imported from Norway. And therefore, there was no restaurant, nothing. They got a dining hall for the mine people. Therefore, we, we, we stay in the barrack and eat in the dining hall and walk, come back and stay there. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, very much. <laughs> cold. Yeah, very cold. Uh, one thing I remember is um, during weekend, you see, there are other people like myself, uh, not Burmese, but European, uh, working there for their, you know, those day European students, you see, they had to own their, uh, make their own money. And during holiday, yeah. they work, yeah. then attend. Yeah? <coughs> and those people, I knew and we went all together to the glaciers and tried to engrave our name on there. <laughs> and all of you, did you speak English from the time you were a little boy? Or? Uh, I was attached 
to I think two English students uh, to work in the coal face right. for the first one month. Then I was attached. It's it was a training. You see. Then I was attached with the Norwegian miners to do tunneling and that kind of thing. I was given good training there. Only then uh, I they cannot speak English. Right. I cannot speak Norwegian. Therefore. <laughs> so you did a lot in your three years in, in, uh, in Europe. Yeah. Were you a shy person? Because it sounds like you were not shy. This kind of chance, I don't think anybody could have happened. Yeah. yeah. Just by chance, it just happened. Mm. And a very good employer. Very good. Yeah. Who paid all of Those this. days, I think. If I remember correctly, uh, I think they got two mines that this company got two mines. One mine, when I got there, was still being burned. I think during the Japanese uh, was a, a Second World War, German Kairu wanted to fire the mine. And because it is a coal mine, uh, still a fire. So years later, it was still burning. <laughs> but smoke only, no, no flame. Yeah? Smoke yeah. coming up. Mm. So then what happened? And that, that was during my school days. Yeah. yeah. So that's in, in 1953 to, to 56. And then what happened? And after 1956, I came back. Yeah. And tried... This Palmer Corporation Limited worked there for four years. And as I said to you, after four years period, I went to this broken hill mine and then to Mount Isa and came back and continued working there. Did you get married at any stage? Married? Yeah. Did you get married? Oh, during... Uh, up to that, I think I got married only 1960 or something. Oh, yeah. you were already 30. Yeah, yeah. 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 And those days, uh, people like myself uh, got the, a kind of a contract with a company to yeah. work. Uh, and there was one lady, the medical doctor, uh, medical doctor girl. And she also signed a contract with a company to work. You see, those days, the, uh, you can work with a company uh, see, as a sort of company employee, or you can join the government. But if you join a company, uh, you got a better pay, better facility only then. But the only trouble is that there was no pension scheme. Provident farm and that kind of thing. But government is a pension scheme. That's the only difference. Therefore, because of the better pay and everything, a lot of people try it. The private. Yeah. And my wife was the medical doctor. And this in mind and our facility, you see, Body mind itself 
from the government point of view, hmm, Borin is just a village. <laughs> from government, you see, they got uh, town, township, divisional level, and this kind of thing. You see, Borin itself is and uh, what we call Namtu Township. Namtu is a town. A township, Borin is a village. Small. Uh, therefore, they don't have medical facility there at all. Nothing. Therefore, what we have to do is this company, mining company, has to establish their own medical facility. Therefore, we had very good hospital built in Borin Mine and another good hospital in Namtu. And our hospital is uh, better standard than the government hospital those days. And your wife was working as? My, my wife was working in Namtu Hospital. Right. Yeah. Namtu and Borin is 12 miles from there, but under the same company. And she also worked, uh, number of the contract was four years. I think she came to the same year as myself, 1956. Huh? As I joined the mine engineer, she joined the medical officer. And after four years, uh, we got married. Uh, and therefore, we got married only after uh, 60, yeah. 1960? 1960, yeah. And had she studied all her medicine in Yangon, or did she...? Yeah, she studied all the medicine in Yangon. Right. Yeah. So your families did not know each other, it was just a love match? Yeah. Right? <laughs> So, uh, after the four years, you took the time and you went to Australia. Yeah. What, what happened then in your career? Because we're coming up to 1962. Yeah, after this, you see, I came back and joined. Uh, during this period, uh, you see, our company was 1951 limited. Hmm? I think in year... 1965, I think so, uh, exact year, I don't know, anyway, in year 1965, hmm, our company was nationalized, <laughs> okay, yeah. we joined a private company, <laughs> we were nationalized, <laughs> and nationalization means you become the government. So automatically, I became the government servant. <laughs> and so is she. And what rank were you at that time? Were you a manager or were you a, uh, still a junior person in the mine in 1960? What, what level were you in the company? Really? I started uh, uh, the mining uh, at the Boring Mine as what they call student engineer. Started, then gradually was promoted, and therefore I work as a mine surveyor, and then ship boss. Yeah, we look after the ship, then my foreman. Uh, gradually, then become the mining engineer. <laughs> after so many years, how many I years? became the the mining mining engineer. How long? How long did it take? Uh, up to this 1965, uh, 
Up to 1965, I was just a mining engineer. Yeah, after going through all these process and everything. Right. So yeah. you became a mining engineer in 1965. Mining, uh, doesn't make it as a mining yeah. engineer. Yeah. 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 And was there an immediate and change? When 1965, when government nationalized yeah. it, uh, you see, those days, most of the people working in the mine were British, Australian, and Gorkha. You know Gorkha? Yeah. yeah, because you see, it is a, a foreign-owned mine, and Burmese people are not interested in mining. You don't find any any Burmese miner at all. Yeah, you know, most of our uh, laborers and miners are Gurkhas. I work with them uh, very very closely with them, uh, and also uh, most of the people in the management, like ship boss and foreman and everybody, they are Australian. They are Australian. A British is only in the top level. Yeah. So who was Baldwin owned? Who who owned nineteen fifty one at that time? Who owned the nineteen fifty one Baba Mines Limited? Who, who owned it? Uh, that is a British company. I think British American company situated in London. Right. Yeah. And government fifty uh, government fifty one percent. The British company owned forty nine percent. Oh, from the beginning? Yeah, when it was a joint venture. Right. Yeah. And did it change immediately, the government took out, nationalised? When, yeah, when they nationalised it, you see, uh, th all the 1951 they made a scrap. And they call, they give another name, Bami's name, you see? Right. Yeah. I think Myanmar, Poland, Longan. But all the foreigners leave? Uh, all the foreigners left. And we were, I, I was only then uh, left, you see, and then I, I was promoted as a mine superintendent. So were you, how many Burmese were in the management at that time? Those days, maybe four of us, uh, engineer, as an engineer, uh, two together, uh, we trained together. Eh? We were trained together, same time as myself. I worked as a mining engineer, and he was uh, working as a metallurgist. Yeah, as a tool. And another two other engineers uh, trained same days in Cambon, but when they are later on, after we returned, and they came back and worked. But the thing is, when they came back, they married as an English girls. <laughs> Before nationalization. <laughs> Both of them came and worked with us, yeah. Uh, and having married the English girl. And therefore, you see, when government nationalized it, uh, they don't want to work there anymore. Therefore they left. Therefore they went to England. And just left the two of you. Uh, only Two of us left. One is a metallurgist, another uh, uh, mining engineer. Is mining I was the only one. 
So you became like mine superintendent? Uh, my superintendent by 1965 and then went in nationalized it. So that was very senior for a young man. Yeah, very senior, yeah. And then those days, uh, I think it was the highest bay in the government level. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I was paid uh, at a higher level. Maybe I was paid 1,600 cats. <laughs> Present about $2 <laughs> anyway per month. Uh, those days, uh, oh no, 2,000 cats per month I was uh, paid uh, before nationalization. And when government nationalized it, they look at my pay and said, your pay is higher than the government pay, therefore they cut my pay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what happened then? And there was, you see, I worked so many years uh, in foreign mine and many, many things happened, you see. Therefore, uh, I want to now go over to the mining thing, shall we? Sure. Yeah. You see, when I tried uh, the foreign mine hmm, in 1956, <coughs> it was just after the World War and just after this trade uh, venture started. The problem is, you know, foreign mine was you know, pre-war time uh, operated by the British, as you know, yeah, SP and all the people who work there. Uh, do you know the story? Bowdoin Mai was started by President Hoover. You know this, yeah. Anyway, uh, the Bowdoin Mai uh, itself, when we got there, uh, the, it went down, the shaft, there was a shaft yeah, and went on up to what we call number 12 level. Uh, each level is about 100 feet. Therefore, 12 level is 1,000 feet. Yeah. Anyway, in fact, it is a 1,400 feet. You see? But because of the World War, Second World War, British left. My was left. No one there. And Japanese came in out to buy their place. They don't care too much about it. Huh? They don't have too much facility. They were minus flooded up to 600 feet level. The whole bottom line flooded. The whole, all, all the walking pieces, everything flooded. Okay? Therefore, when I dry, the company, anything below was flooded. The most of our work was recovery work. See, that is very, very important, very recovery work. And another thing was this. <coughs> During British time, they worked the mine systematically. They got all the records of where the working places are, where they Working places, where drives, where cross the car, everything was kept on record. Hmm? The whole lot destroyed during the Japanese period. No 
no record. The only record we have was when British left because of the Japanese occupation, they took away what we call essay plan. You see, before they started mine, they had the essay of the, all the wagon places. But the only document we have is the essay plan. No working place of where the work, no, no one there, eh? no one there, all places left, everything. Eh? Therefore, everybody who worked there is a new people. Therefore, to recover this area, how to do this? That's very important. And another thing is, during this British period, Borimai was operated is what they, what they call square set stopping system, which means, you see, support we are made by the timber, huh? and excavation after drawing out the ore were refilled by the rock quarry from the surface. Therefore, square set mining with rock filling. A timber, they don't, they, they go rotten, okay? Under the water. Yeah, and the water flooded. And rock fell, subside. Therefore, you see, they could not fill anything tightly. Therefore, everywhere we go, the roof and everything were danger of falling down. At that position, we have to recover all the old working places. Therefore, we install pumps and everything. We pump out. As water receives, we try to recover all the drives, cross cuts and stuff, step by step. And very, very hard job. I think it may take maybe four years to do this and we recover up to this number 10 level. And as we recover them, uh, we install pumps and everything gradually and all things. So after four years you had all the, yeah, all the levels all the, operating? Of course. Uh, the operation has to continue. Uh, uh, therefore, the level, about 600 feet level, we walk, but never below the area or the recovery walk. And recovery walk is face a danger every day. Mm. Was the government interested in the mine or not so interested? I think they were quite interested. 1951, uh, when I joined, the government was quite interested. Yeah. No, but I'm talking 1965 when yeah. the government, when they nationalised, did they, they give you enough equipment, funding? Um, I think those days everything was funded by the British. No, but after 65, when it got no, nationalized. In 65, you see, those days, uh, one thing about it is uh, we have some good relation with foreign people. <coughs> yeah, foreign people. Purchasing. So foreign people were very interested. Uh, if I remember correctly, the German were very interested in boring mine. 
to buy the ore. Not to buy, you think, what those days, and then they have what they call technical assistant program. Government to government technical assistant program. Therefore, they give assistance uh, to rehabilitation of all the industry, everything. And for the German, they were interested, as far as I know, uh, interested in borrowing mine. Therefore, I had a very, very good relation with the German, German government. And they came over, they sent, you know, their experts and everything. They gave me uh, financial aid to do this thing. That would have been the East Germans, right? Uh, West Germany. Those the East and West are uh, still the same. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It was the West German. West German. Not, yeah. not East German. Yeah. West German. No, not East German. West German. Okay. West German okay. Yeah. One other story which you've told me before, which I think everybody would like to hear. Huh? Everyone would like to hear the story of the stolen. So <laughs> <See what? laughs> anyway, uh, German gave a lot of technical assistance program, and therefore, what they did was mining method. Hmm? Mining method, as I said to you, it is very very outdated. Therefore, uh, they taught us how to uh, change the mining method to the new method, and in this new method. Uh, they give us a certain training and also this new method needs a filling not by the rock by the uh, concentration waste mill tailing we call it mill tailing filling therefore they build the mill at boring itself mm? mm -hmm. uh, that end product we sell uh, the tailing we fear, and therefore the production becomes very, very good. That is, uh, that they change the mining method uh, through the German assistant program. We change the mining method and became very efficient and safe. And another one uh, German did for us was that in the pre-war time, in the place or Namtu, where my wife worked, huh? the British government has a concentration mill, 1,000 ton party concentration mill. They built it and they operated it pre-war time. During the war time, because of the occupation of Japanese coming in, they burned it down. <laughs> okay? Therefore, the whole thing was burned down. There was no mill. Hmm? But around the mill, there's a tailing done there. But those days, many, many years, the technical thing has improved. Therefore, with the German assistant program, we inspected this mill tailing area around the whole mine and found that there was a big silver content in there. They gave me what to do with this, what's the process to do and everything. And during my time, I could not manage to build the plant. But later on, they built the plant and treated it. That is another. 
and another one geometry reforms us that <coughs> you see body and mind concentrate was treated in Namdu. The Namdu has a smelter. We call it less smelter. And this less smelter was built in Namdu in 1908. Very old. <laughs> 1908. You see? Very old smelter. Very old smelter. Therefore, technology out of date. But body and mind produce lead and zinc. They can treat lead, they cannot treat zinc, they smell dust. Therefore, all the slag were left around the smell dust. Big, big pile of slag around the smell dust. Zinc slag. Zinc, zinc. And <coughs> You know broken in mind and broken in mind also long time ago they shift the concentrate down to Port Perry, I think. Port Perry and treat there. And the same thing happened, they left the slack around the area. But they have developed a technology in the meantime. Australia. The same with German. German also had developed a slack treatment then. But I had connection with Germany, therefore German, through them, we drill so many holes in a slack pile, try to establish hmm, the tannage, zinc yeah. content, and they try to introduce this slack, what they call slack fuming plant, along the line with the yeah, German uh, yeah, and that also hasn't been big up to now. It's still there. Three million tons of slag still there. Wow. Fifteen percent zinc. Up to now, they don't have that. Uh, anyone who will do this? Why not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is still there. Still there. So will you tell the, the uh, story of the stolen? Yeah. And as I said to you, <laughs> you see this red smelter can uh, only produce lead, pure lead, we call refined lead, 99.99% refined, and refined silver, and silver. And I think the story I told you about was, you see, those days, uh, in the tri-venture period day, <coughs> the company owned an aircraft, aircraft, and we use this aircraft every week to fly from Lasho to Yangon, and the main uh, job for the aircraft is to ship the silver out from Lasho to Yangon and to bring some sort of uh, food in every stop for the people. That was the main job. Therefore, <coughs> every month or so, we production of our silver, hmm, we shipped it to Lasho 
and Lajo there was a special form in the army camp. And we kept them there until the plane comes over, pick them up and go there. You see? Because between Namtu and Lajo was insurgent area. We were the only area free of insurgent. Would that be Shan? Yeah, Shan, yeah, yeah. Therefore very dangerous. Anyway, one day we lost all what we kept in Lasho. <laughs> oh, the trucks had already come. Uh, the reason there. was, and then somebody came and raided the place, killed the guards, and took the server away. The insurgent. Uh, right. We don't know who are they. Anyway, uh, we lost them. Uh, what to do? Anyway, we tried to uh, find out where it went to and everything. We could not do anything. During that time, during that time, there was a lot of trouble between China and us, the border there. And then Kuomintang group and that kind of thing, many problems. You see, I don't know exactly, but what the government did was, you see, they, they had a, a group form, not the army, a group form, and that group were allowed to move about in the border area. They can do whatever they like, and army need not go to, to this area. You see, uh, a kind of a barrier. <laughs> uh, this was led by Isha Wachi. <laughs> and he was stationed in Lasho. And because we have the very good, uh, you know, we own the aircraft in Lasho and everything, uh, we have a lot of traffic going between Lasho and us. And we know a lot of people in Lasho. We came to know him, you see. Uh, as a as a drunk club, we knew him. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we asked for this help, and he helped us and brought them back over from Thailand. Uh, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> and then I think you said you sometimes used to he retired at the end to Yangon and used to play golf with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing. <laughs> That I may not have told you. As I said to you, uh, we got a lot of technical assistance program. And one day, uh, the United Nations people, I think, uh, uh, gave us uh, some sort of assistance. And their assistance was to do diamond drilling around foreign mine. <coughs> diamond drilling work. And they engage uh, some company uh, to to carry out the diamond drilling work. And there, in this company, there was one German uh, engineer looking after this operation. And and this uh, area, uh, like this, is supposing this is our mine site, and we have to go along this and go around it and drill inside it somewhere here. There's a mountain in between. You see? Yeah. Anyway, every day he went along this, go there and drill 
and come back and nice job in Borden. Hmm? That was an everyday affair. Anyway, as I said to you, those days insurgents were active all around here. Therefore, we always send him with a bodyguard. Right. But uh, this time with a police bodyguard. Therefore, police bodyguard always go there with him, one in front, one at the back, and he in the center. Hmm? And one day, as he returned from there, hmm, they came across few people coming opposite direction. And that group led past the, the first policeman. The first policeman just went there. Hmm? Then kidnapped the German. Eh? Kidnapped the German. Killed the next one. Shot, shot the next one. And took him along another route into the jungle. Into the jungle. When we knew about it, they have already moved. That was evening time, you see. Already. Yeah. And when the time comes, nobody dare go anywhere. Anyway, you can't trace him anymore. Finished. Anyway, we were a great problem, and this problem is a reason why I came to know that German very well. <laughs> From the problem, we got advantage. Hmm? You see, therefore, we lost a German, German expert, and German embassy very angry with us. But did they um, ever catch him, ever release him? Did they ever get the hostage back? Yeah, I tell oh. you that. Anyway, yeah. then, of course, we don't know what to do. Therefore, we try to make inquiry as to uh, whereabout he is and this kind of thing. Uh, we informed the army. Uh, army surrounded big area. They didn't actually go there. But they surrounded the big area so that they cannot escape. Therefore, you see, the insurgent plan were to take him to Thailand for uh, ransom payment and everything. But because army is circulated, they could not move. Anyway, we sent Shan people to do some sort of negotiation. Uh, I got message from this German that don't worry about me. I am very well treated, yeah? but try to rescue me time, yeah. But they don't harm me. <clears throat> anyway, through some sort of uh, sham group and they talked with the insurgent, maybe they made some payment and that I don't know. Anyway, one day he was released and returned. I went and met him there and send him back to Germany. Because you were at that time responsible uh, for the... I was, I was a my superintendent yeah. there. Does that yeah. mean the top, does that mean... Uh, we got a general manager and management in Yangon and Haribori. Right. Right. But, <coughs> you see, because of this, 
German embassy people came and go every time. Yeah? Uh, anyway, that man, when he wrote now, we, we asked him the story, you see, how he was treated. <laughs> because he was a young engineer like us, you see. He said, in the insurgent camp, hmm, uh, insurgent camp, they move about every day. Yeah. They did not stay in one place any time. Yeah. Tonight, this place, another yeah. they move about. So the army could not trace them. Yeah. You see, there was one region. Another thing was that, you see, they were treating him very, very well and tried to give everything possible. But as the time goes on, they run out of food. Hmm? And they wanted to give the German the beer. <laughs> you know what he said? Huh? Beer, yeah. he wanted to drink chill beer. <laughs> there was no refrigerator, nothing. What they did was, they brought beer from somewhere, put them in the stream. Huh? Stream is very cold yeah. in that area, but make it chill and only then treat it. <laughs> and this chairman, after he returned to Germany, uh, uh, he told me that, you see, some uh, reason he was released. Maybe the German government paid them. Maybe we don't know, but we, they don't want to emphasize this. But what he said was, uh, he was told not to publicize his uh, stay with the insurgent because the newspaper men were just waiting for him to get the story. <laughs> and that, that was it then. Uh, so how long were you in uh, how, you fought, how many years? 14 years? How long were you? What happened next after? Yeah. after I, I was uh, in Bowdoin yeah. all, all along. Yeah. And <coughs> you see, another thing that happened was this. You see, we were called number one mining corporation. Right. Hmm? And number one mining was responsible for letting silver. Right. Hmm? Yeah. In Moya, the copper mine was about to start. Right. You know Moya, yeah, yeah. copper mine was about to start. And therefore, <coughs> those days, copper was under mining number three. No, number one. Yeah. Mining number three, MD, was my senior. But for some reason, or some then, I think he died. After signing a contract uh, of developing Moya with the Yugoslav people. They, they wow. signed a contract. With him, they signed a contract. But he died. And for the reason I know to me, number three, uh, copper was put under number one mining corporation charge. And therefore I was told to work copper mine to develop it. 
So you moved from Baldwin? Yeah. Therefore, I became, uh, I had to take over this copper mine. And those days, Yuko uh, Snap uh, and Nemaga men, they made some sort of agreement to develop the copper mine. <coughs> and what they did was, they uh, they gave me uh, a group of people hmm, from number three mining, group of people, uh, to look after this. I was to take charge. Right. Anyway, we did it. Hmm. We established an open pit mining. And the thing is this, the flotation method of recovery. Right. You see? And through the whole this uh, as a, uh, program, uh, you see, I was in, uh, in Bong. Where was that mine? Moya. Moya, you said that. Moya. And so did you move from Baldwin to Monroe? I did not move. You see, I was transferred to Yango. Okay. I was transferred to Yango from Baldwin. Yeah. yeah? From Yango, I managed both uh, Baldwin and Copper Mine. What what were you then? You'll be you're not uh, lying, superintendent. Uh, you must have been. Uh, they call firstly uh, engineering some some sort of then uh, anyway uh, some sort of designation they gave me uh, to look out of both the mines. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that uh, the what, thing. What I year are we then, approximately? Yeah. Uh, so you went to Baldwin and. 1964 and uh, the concentrate uh, is about 20% uh, copper. Therefore, mm. when we sell, uh, the only place we can sell is to Japan. Right, because uh, And therefore, we are penalized because we have so many other ingredients in it, and there's kind of many trouble there. But still, we got no other yeah. uh, person, yeah. no other people to work yeah. with us. Yeah. So we went on. And then what happened was this Ivano came in. Yeah? Yeah. I came in. Ivano came in and But that's quite late. That's I think ninety four or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but before that yeah. You were, when did you become? Yeah, then I became the deputy minister in 1986. Government do not uh, agree. Huh? Uh, they say prove it. Hmm? Yeah. Prove it. Therefore, they build a, what they call pilot plant. Right. Pilot plant, 
and prove it. Right. Then only they agree, and therefore uh, they scrapped this flotation plant and started as a present mining method. Right. That's why I was involved in the copper mining also. But this this is after you retired, or this is before? No, before I before retired. Before I retired. Yeah. You see? But between, but what's the period between? Um, must be seventy four mm-hmm. and eighty six. Yeah. You were based in Yangon. It was in Yangon. Working on the copper and yeah. those two mines. Yeah. And then, so the process of becoming deputy minister, which is really the most senior. Uh, Professional position because yeah, yeah. all the all the ministers were uh, generals at that time, yeah. right? So, um, the how was the ministry run in that period? Was it efficient or not efficient? Or? You see, uh, as far as the ministry goes, <coughs> you see, I work with so many ministers throughout my life. <coughs> The first minister I work uh, as a nineteen fifty one limited was a naval naval officer. <coughs> very good. Very good. Good intelligence, good understanding and good uh, uh, then also very very good naval naval officer. Then when he retired uh, Army officer came in. Uh, this army officer was a GTI graduate. GTI is a, you know, we are BSc. This is a technical college we have there, you know, the GTI graduate. Therefore, we were both engineering people. Therefore, I was very close with this minister, and that minister later on became the prime minister. Therefore, those days, very good work. Who is that? This is Prime Minister Sander May Win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. okay. Anyway, after that, a geologist, a geologist became our minister. Uh, He was a... Uh, After this... uh, uh, Army, army, okay. and the geologist came our minister. And this geologist uh, was my schoolmate. Ah. <laughs> See? Uh, my schoolmate. And he used to be education minister. Yeah? He used to be education minister until he was transferred to us as a, uh, as a my minister. But weren't all the ministers ex-military? Or military? Momoka, I think. Momoka, I think, yeah. yeah. Momoka, Reguilia, Downline or something. Anyway, yeah. uh, anyway, this geologist uh, minister, he was the best. You see? And he knows all about uh, mining and everything. Because his subject was, you mine. see? And only thing is, he was from education department. Therefore, we made a very good relation with the university. Therefore, with university technical knowledge and everything come up. Therefore, 
all of them are technically very, very, very sound. But the only problem is this. I think he was a Chinese. He was Chinese and he became very, very popular throughout the Kamen Cabinet saga. Uh, he was so intelligent, very good. And they say, you see, uh, he will be competing in Nguyen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very strong. Therefore, Nguyen Chakemo. <laughs> and put in a general. <laughs> and they don't, they put all the generals together. So, but, so during your period, though, you had a general yeah. in '86. When you you would have yeah. a general as a minister. Tan Tan, yeah, I think. Tan My my latest minister is a uh, now the president of the party. Uh, NLD. No, no, not NLD. It's an opposition the army, to NLD. Army party. Uh, army party. Yeah, he's a president. <laughs> He's still around. Yeah. He's still around. <laughs> so, you know, what's your reflections on you know where the mining industry is now in nineteen in two thousand seventeen? You know, what needs to be done? Do you think? New win. No, now, now. Do you have any comments on the mining? Mining, you see, at the moment, you see, before <coughs> mining. You see, the story with mining is long time ago, mine and oil industry they were together yeah. under the same ministry. Okay? Yeah. And therefore, oil industry is very advanced in Myanmar. Yeah. Much advanced than mining. Yeah. Oil industry those yeah. days. Yeah. But later on, uh, you see, people like this Dr. Nini and all these people came and mining industry became very popular. Therefore, we separated from oil industry. Therefore, they gave oil ministry and my ministry. My ministry separated. Yeah. But recently, even the my ministry is no more present. They got environmental <laughs> management. No. <laughs> a, a downgrading mineral yeah. resources and yeah. environmental management and the man who control it is a forest officer yeah. you see personally I know him personally he's good yeah. but the problem is you see all the people around him were not interested in mining you see, throughout the period, uh, after Nini, you know, geologist time, uh, throughout the period, army people were controlling the mine ministry. What they did was, you see, army people were given their army pension after working maybe 15 years or something. Yeah. Uh, not like a uh, government. Government is 30 years. Uh, Therefore, after they got the pension, they were sent to the government position to work. There were a lot of army people, eh? yeah. when they were given pension, they were still young. 
and army government therefore they want to give them the job. Yeah. Therefore they were transferred to different department the whole country. Therefore now the whole of the ministry of mine is filled with the army, ex army people. <laughs> therefore they are not interested in uh, uh, the mining. Hmm? Yeah. And especially now, you see, they are the people who the present minister has to manage. Therefore, all their recommendations are uh, environmental, everything. No, no uh, proper mining at all. They were very, very weak. Not that it was meant intentionally. But I don't think he has any control. And uh, just to, to finish off, just so you did you have children? Did you and your wife have children? Yeah, uh, I have two daughters. Uh, two daughters. Uh, one daughter, younger daughter, is married, and and she's got two children, uh, three children. Uh, and, uh, and my my grand my grandchildren, and. Out of my three three children, you see, uh, two are in the university, and uh, one is in the in the uh, primary school. Are they grandchildren? Three grandchildren. Three, three grandchildren. So that your two daughters. I would, uh, two daughters. Staying together. They stay here. Yeah, they are here. Right, but two daughters, both married. No, I got two daughters. Yeah. Well, the younger daughter got married, right. and they got three children, right. from my grandchildren. Right. And that family also lived me, with me, yeah. and my elder daughter, yeah. who is not married, yeah. also lived with me. Okay. Yeah. okay. Therefore, okay. we are all together in one place. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So, any other reflections to finish? You, anything you can think of <coughs> about the mining? Uh, mining, uh, as I said, oh, another thing I think I need to tell you is this. Uh, you know, when Ivano came, as I said to you, yeah. uh, we worked this, uh, how do you call this, copper mine. But Ivano have interest in a lot of mining, a yeah. lot of uh, different minerals and everything. And another thing is that uh, they are interested to find some more mines. You see, beside the copper mine. Therefore, Aveno has two branches. One branch of Aveno concentrated on exploration. Another branch working in the copper mine. Therefore, I was attached to the exclusion side of the mine. Therefore, we look all over the country, everywhere, for the possible uh, future mine. Uh, we make a lot of study and everything. And another thing is, the people who are attached to this, with the people like Mr. Calvin, who found the Mongolia mine? Uh, I don't know whether you heard about it or not. Dr. Mitchell is a 
very very well known uh, geologists from England. Hmm? They are still around. I think Calvin has already retired, but Dr. Mitchell is still around here. Hmm. Therefore, I work very closely with them, and therefore, uh, you see, I'll show you. <coughs> All the reports. All the reports. All the reports. Downstairs, I got two mirror like this filled. Valuable reports. All the reports on the possible, I said, copper, lead, zinc, and silver deposit. In Dunstan, the whole country, uh, I got a record here. That'll be very useful <laughs> to someone in the future. <laughs> and therefore, they were very interested. And those days, uh, before the present government, eh, those days, you see, the ministry, what they did was like this. They Block out the area in the country. Block out a certain area. Eh? Say this area is a lessing possibility. This area is a ten times possibility. This area is a gold possibility. And the geological department of the ten, they block out the area. Okay? Yeah. And this block out the area, then they advertise it in the newspaper saying that anybody who wants to do any exploration work in the area will have to uh, make their bid. There are a lot of foreign companies come and make the bidding. See? As I said, come and block out the area and we compete in building the, the area. Okay? And each area is about 1,400 square meter. So many areas block out in Myanmar every year. Therefore, I will no competed with the other company, uh, Newmont and those days, you see, so many other companies come and uh, compete. I will know because uh, Dr. Mitchell is here. Dr. Mitchell worked with the government for so many years. Yeah? Uh, as a United Nations expert, as so many experts, he worked there. Therefore, he knows the whole lot. Therefore, we make, we make so many people. Therefore, all these areas, we built and won, and we did geological survey, Geochemical survey, diamond drilling, everything. Therefore, we have the, a lot of data on the whole of Myanmar on mining possibility. You see, and and one of the area we were interested is in a place called Moti Town. 
Moody Town is a coal deposit area. It was unknown area. But it is in the block, not known in the block. Yeah? We won the block. Hmm? This Ivano won the block. And we made, you see, the, firstly, what we did was the area is so big, mountainous and everything, therefore we made the kind of the area survey. At the area survey record I have. Then ground survey. Uh, ground survey means geological survey, geochemical survey, then diamond drilling. All these then we did it. And in this particular area I was about to tell you, it's called Moti Town. <coughs> Moti Town in Burmese is the mountain is so high that it reaches the sky. Yeah? This area very big, very good deposit. But the only problem with this is the veins are very narrow. Veins are very narrow but very rich. This is gold. Gold, yeah. yeah. Very rich but very narrow. Hmm? Therefore, uh, anyway, we try to develop it. And this mine, uh, this area, is very similar to one area in Australia. And Dr. Mitchell invited those people from Australia to come and have a look at it. Hmm? You see, exactly like that area. Narrow way, but go down. Still working in Australia. Therefore, we wanted to develop it. Therefore, we made all the plans and everything. <coughs> you see, what I want to say is this. Narrow vein, rich. But the modern method is an open cast is there. Because it reaches the surface. Open cast would have been very, very good. Hmm? But since the narrow vein, if you do the open cast mining, go deep down, a lot of waste will be extracted. Where are the waste be put? And the area is in the northern reaches of very important river in Myanmar. Hmm? And it is a, what's a geologically unstable area what we call PU fault. Big fault around Myanmar. And it is adjacent to this. And we don't know what to do. So we try Australian expert and try to think about it a mining method. Therefore they introduce uh, some sort of special mining method to go with it. No open pit. There will no waste just this. Okay? And another thing is, <coughs> it is a coal. A treatment of coal is cyanide. Yeah. yeah. But if you use cyanide in this area, it is upper reaches of the river. Suppose in big rainfall, spillage, what will happen to downstream area? Hmm? Therefore, we are the Australian people. Try to make the recommendation. 
Therefore, they made a recommendation, the kind of work they do, and they tested it all in their laboratory, and they brought in a special method. Hmm? 94% recovery possible. Huh? No cyanide. Huh? Anyways, developed from the mill will be packed in the what they call textile tube and stack them on the mountain side and tree will be overgrown. It's a very very big company in Australia working on it and they made a recommendation we are going to adopt this. But Ivanhoe is not still working here is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was the whole plan. Therefore we model the area getting suggestion from yeah. all over the place like uh, treatment waste disposal, everything, uh, future, because but the Australian people say, just like their mind, and their mind is over 100 years old, therefore we have to think long way. Uh, uh, come and say, uh, we don't give you any extension of your contract, cancer. What what year was this? When <laughs> was this? 94, I think, yeah, cancer. Hmm? Cancer. You all your proposal cancer. And the reason why they did was this. Ivan who was working, as I said, in copper mine. Hmm? Ivan who in the meantime has found a Mongolia deposit. I think I told you about it. Mongolia deposit has a big potential, better potential. Hmm? But I've been doing no money to do this, such a big deposit. Huh? Small money, yes, but not Mongolia deposit. They went around all over the place, tried to find a partner. Huh? They found a partner. Hmm? And the partners say, we are the big company, but most of our investors are American. But if they knew, we tried Ivanhoe, who was working in Myanmar, Myanmar has an American sanction, eh? they will back out. Therefore, you make your own choice. Get out from if you want our assistance. Hmm? They were freelance, you know, yeah. they were no chairman, and no choice. Therefore, they sold their whole interest to the Chinese people that, who are the present owner. Because of that situation, they come and look after look upon Ivano as some sort of people who are against it and reflecting is on this Modita, you see, no more. And they struck an agreement with us. Therefore, Ivano had to get out from the Modita and get out from here altogether. Kokotan, <coughs> I think. <laughs> I, I better let you rest. 
<laughs> it's been a fantastic, fantastic uh, story. So thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.